0: Let's open up to Romans 15, to Romans chapter 15. We're talking about this man called Paul. Who was this man? What was his ministry? What was his mission? Uh, This man who was so important in the history of the church, in the history of the world, a man who is certainly important in your history. Uh, Would we be here today as Christians were it not for this man, Paul? Uh, In Romans 15, we have been looking at three key themes as we have been studying uh, these verses, verses 14 to 21. Uh, We've been looking first at the origin of Paul's ministry, And we saw how Paul's great apostolic mission was given to him by God. Uh, We remembered him traveling down the Damascus Road, how Jesus showed up and turned Paul's life upside down. He was going to persecute Christians. Suddenly he is a Christian and he's been called to go out and make new Christians, to preach the gospel. Uh, Paul was brought to salvation and given his great mission on the same day. And we took some time in that message to talk about gospel ministers and pastors, missionaries, and how God calls men into those particular callings. Last week, we looked especially at the aim of Paul's ministry. And we saw that Paul's great goal... Was to serve Jesus by helping prepare the great offering of the nations. That's the way he talks about it. The offering of the Gentiles. There's going to be this great day when Jesus presents to his father a redeemed people. Washed free from sin by his blood. Uh, There's going to be a redeemed people from every tongue, every tribe, every nation, a kingdom of people, all saved by the blood of Jesus, all sanctified by the Holy Spirit. And Jesus is building that people, that kingdom, that church. And Paul, he's working towards that great day. And every city that he visited, and every gospel message that Paul preached, and every miracle that he worked, and every lash of the whip, Nights spent in prison, this is what it was about. Jesus saving people for the glory of God. And whatever the specific callings are that God has placed on your life, whatever the, the opportunities and the obligations that Jesus has brought into your life, they should find their place within this great calling that God has given His church to take the gospel To every nation, we are to be a great commission people in everything that we're doing, whatever we're doing, honoring Jesus, telling others about Jesus. That is to have a central place. Now, this morning, we come to the last of the three themes I want us to observe in these verses. I want us to see the nature of Paul's ministry. The nature of Paul's ministry. I want us to get more specific, dive in a little more deeply into the way that Paul was to fulfill this mission. How did he carry out this ministry? I think there's a lot here to encourage us and to help us. So let's first read the verses again. This is the very word of God. We're reading verse 14 to verse 21. So Romans 15 beginning in verse 14. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. But on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder, because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, those who have never heard will understand. So altogether, I want us to see six truths about the nature of Paul's ministry. Six truths about the nature of Paul's ministry. Here's the first one. Paul served under the authority of Christ. Paul served under the authority of Christ. Verse 15, sorry, verse 16. Verse 16 says, Paul was given grace by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus. Minister of Christ Jesus. We have a few young Latin scholars in our midst. They know what the genitive case is the the possessive case is in John's baseball Courtney's elephant okay the baseball belongs to John that elephant belongs to Courtney i don't know why Courtney owns an elephant but there you go okay this verse could be literally translated that Paul was given grace by God to be Christ Jesus minister in other words, Paul belongs to Christ Jesus. He is a minister on behalf of Christ Jesus and under the authority of Christ Jesus. Think about Britain. Over in Britain, the queen is the head of the state. And the political leaders under her are her ministers. Right? That's how it is with King Jesus. Think about James Bond and Her Majesty's Secret Service. Well, Paul's service was not secret, but he served in the service of King Jesus. Christ is at work in this world, and one of the ways that he is at work is through his ministers. Paul was one of Christ Jesus' ministers. Now, this means, first of all, that everything that Paul did was in service to Jesus. Think about our own executive branch of government Right? If you serve in the executive branch of our government, you serve at the pleasure of the president to help carry out the president's mission and instructions. Uh, so in the same way, Paul served at the pleasure of Christ to carry out the great mission and the instructions that Christ is carrying out. So in everything he did, Paul was serving Jesus, uh, the same Jesus that he once supposed. The same Jesus that Paul once hated, he now was in his service. And he loved him. Uh, In fact, Paul described Jesus in Colossians 3 as our life. He said, when Christ, who is our life, appears. Uh, For Paul, Jesus was everything. Jesus was his all in all. Jesus was his very life. You can tell how much Paul loved Jesus because there's moments in the New Testament when Paul just... Loses himself in a tangent of worship. Where he just starts declaring in verse after verse the glories of Christ. For example, Colossians 1... He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. By him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent." Paul was absolutely enraptured with the glory of Jesus. He had come to see at least something of who Jesus is, and it was enough that it made it his absolute joy to be in the service of Jesus Christ. And because Jesus meant so much to Paul, this was absolutely central to Paul. His service to Jesus was his identity. It is who he was. Paul said in Acts 20, I do not account my life. Of any value, nor is precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and my ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Now, Herman, is this how we think about ourselves? This shouldn't be just Paul. Do we have this kind of love for Christ? Is this how we think about the callings that Christ has given us? Whatever those callings might be husband, father, right? Uh, Mother, wife, uh, friend, neighbor, co worker whatever the different roles, the different callings, the different obligations that God has given you can you say, I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that Jesus Christ has given to me? I just want to be faithful. To the one who has saved me. We live in a world where all around you are people wasting their lives. They are living for trivialities. They are living for nothing that matters. You've been given a cause to live for. You've been brought into the church of Christ, which has a purpose and a mission. Have you embraced the mission? Is your life serving this cause? And then as a minister of Christ, not only was Paul serving Christ, but he was serving others on behalf of Christ. You see, Christ was at work saving people, planning churches. Christ was forming the New Testament, but he was doing it significantly through Paul. When, what Paul did, he did by Christ's authority. He did it in obedience to Christ so that it was Christ working through Paul. As the gospel reached more and more people through Paul, it was Jesus who was reaching them. As people believed the message that Paul preached, it was Jesus who was saving them. Sometimes when you listen to the news, uh, watch TV, they'll say, Today, President Trump did this, or today, President Trump did that. And you'll find out it was actually some agency under President Trump, right? It was part of his administration, some officials. Some... But for, for many decades, right, this is how we've talked about the executive branch. We'll say the president did this, the president did that, because someone underneath him, someone as part of his administration, made a decision. Well, this is true in a truer sense in the Church of Christ. When Paul was fulfilling his ministry, it was Jesus That was at work. For not only was Paul serving under Jesus' authority, but it was the very spirit of Christ within Paul, working within him and moving him to do what he did. Uh, Verse 18. Look at verse 18. This is why he says, verse 18, I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. Uh, The president can give orders to his officials. The president can say, here's what I want you to do or here's what I want you to not do. Christ does so much more than that. He actually comes and indwells his people. The very spirit of Christ comes into us and motivates us, compels us from the inside to do the things that Jesus would have us do so that he works in and through us. Uh, Just as your head controls the rest of your body, Okay, the brain affects every part of your body. So Jesus is the head of the church. And Jesus moves his body, the church. He works through his body, the church, by the power of the Holy Spirit that he has given us. And so, in all these ways, Paul was a minister of Christ Jesus. He was in the service of Christ. Number two, number two, Paul's ministry was to the Gentiles. Paul's ministry was to the Gentiles, it was a focused ministry. And it was particularly focused on reaching the non-Jews, the nations. In the early church, it became known that Peter was the apostle to the Jews, Paul the apostle to the Gentiles. That is, Peter was leading the way and bringing the gospel to the Jews. And Paul was leading the way in bringing the gospel to the Gentiles. And each had been appointed by Christ to be leaders in their endeavors. In verse 16, verse 16, Paul says God gave him grace to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. Now remember, from the very beginning of God's promises to Abraham, the nations were always in view. When God suddenly came and spoke to Abraham, Abraham was a moon worshipper in Ur. The first Hebrew was a pagan. The first Jew was a Gentile. Okay? God's plan from the beginning has always been universal salvation. Not universalism, but universality. That is, it has always been God's plan, not that every individual who ever lives will be saved. No, they will not. But it has always been God's plan that there will be people saved from every tongue, tribe, and nation. He will receive worship from all kinds of people from all over the world. The kingdom of God will be a universal kingdom, a diverse kingdom, a kingdom made up of people from all the nations. Now, universal worship is the goal. Missions is the means. You understand that? Uh, John Piper famously said, missions exist because worship doesn't. Okay? Missions exist because there are billions of people in this world who are not giving glory to their creator. They are estranged from their creator. They are in rebellion against their creator. And God's plan is to reconcile to himself worshipers from every nation. This has been God's chief agenda since the beginning. So let me just give you some evidence that this is the big picture. I mentioned the call of Abraham. Uh, The call of Abraham and his descendants was that through them, God's glory would be shown to the nations. Genesis 12, verse 1, The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. Listen, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. The Old Testament is filled with verses commanding the Jews to take God's glory to the world. Psalm 96.3, Declare His glory among the nations, His marvelous works among all the peoples. Psalm 105, one, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, call upon His name, make known His deeds among the peoples. Psalm 117.1, Praise the Lord all nations, extol Him all peoples. Isaiah 12.4, you will say in that day, give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples, proclaim that his name is exalted. And of course, what's the entire point of the book of Jonah? We see a man who is hostile to the idea that God might be saving even the enemies of Israel, these terrible pagan Assyrians. And God says, no, Jonah, even for them. There is repentance. Even for them, there can be salvation. Jonah, you go where I tell you to go. Even if it's to the Assyrians. It's not just about the Jews. First Chronicles 16, 8, Give thanks to the Lord. Call upon His name. Make known His deeds among the peoples. Uh, Later in that same chapter, sing to the Lord all the earth. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. A little further down, ascribe to the Lord the glory, do his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Let the heavens be glad. Let the earth rejoice. Let them say among the nations, the Lord reigns. The Old Testament is filled with these kinds of declarations. May the whole world worship God. And Old Testament prophecies promised that one day it would happen. This isn't just a hope. Oh, how I hope and wish that maybe somehow one day the nations would know God. No, the Old Testament says it's going to happen. Psalm 86, 9, all the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. Isaiah 49, 6, God says, is it too light a thing? Is it too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and bring back the preserved of Israel? Oh, I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Isaiah 60, verse 3. The nations shall come to your light, the kings to the brightness of your rising. One more, the very last chapter of Isaiah. For I know their works and their thoughts, and the time is coming to gather all nations and tongues They shall come and see my glory. I will set a sign among them. From them I will send survivors to the nations, to Tarshish and Pul and Lud who draw the bow, to Tubal and Javan, to the coastlands afar off that have not heard of my fame or seen my glory, and they shall declare my glory among the nations. So in the Old Testament, we have these promises. There's going to be a day when my glory is being taken to the world and worshipers are being raised up for me. From every land. We also see in the Bible that this is going to be accomplished through Jesus Christ. It is through Jesus that God will be glorified in all the nations. So we saw in Luke 2, when baby Jesus was taken to the temple. And you have old Simeon there. And Simeon has his song, his prophecy And he says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence for all peoples. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Simeon says, you had always promised that there's going to be a day when your glory is taken to the world. And I am looking in this little baby at the fulfillment of that promise. That it is going to be through this baby. That the, the nations are going to hear of you and are going to know your truth and worship you. This is all behind the Great Commission. The Great Commission didn't come out of nowhere. It's not like Jesus just said one day, hmm, I think we'll make this more than just a Jewish thing. Okay? You have this entire Old Testament leading to this day when Jesus says... All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go ye therefore, make disciples of all the nations. So as we've said from this pulpit many times before, this is the most important thing happening in the world today. Whoever wins the Democratic nomination to run against President Trump, that is not the most important thing happening in the world today. It's not. Whoever happens to win the football games today, that is not the most important thing happening in the world today. And the dramas of our individual lives, (laughs) and we have lots of dramas, don't we? Those are not the most important thing happening in the world today. The most important thing happening in the world today is that Jesus Christ is doing what the Old Testament said he would do. He is building a kingdom of people, of worshipers for God from every tongue, tribe, and nation. And therefore, Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles. He was the first person to lead the way, to set the example, to bring others into this service. Hey, Barnabas! Hey, Silas! Right? And to begin this great work in earnest. Now what does this mean for us as a church? Well if taking the glory of God to the unreached peoples of the world through Jesus Christ is the chief agenda of God, should it not be the chief agenda of our church? If we look at God's priority list and God's purposes and we see that at the very top is Building a kingdom of worshipers from all over the world. Should our priority list have anything else in the number one spot? Do we need to get in step with the Spirit and what the Spirit is doing? Uh, Here is the great thing God is doing in this world. How many churches are there, and they're just marching to a totally different beat? They're going a different direction. They're concerned with other things. Other things are important, other things need to be done. There's lots of things that churches are called to do by God. But let us never, ever, ever miss the most important thing, namely our mission. To make disciples of every nation. A lesson that I think is very clear in this passage is that God's means of accomplishing His great agenda is His people. God works through His people to create more of His people. He builds his kingdom through his kingdom. He increases his church through his church. We have been called to go with the gospel of Jesus for the glory of God to all the Gentiles, to all the nations. Look at verse 18. By the way, we're only getting through two of the six points. Maybe y'all figured that out by now. Two of the six points today. So the other four next week. Uh, Verse 18. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God. So that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. Thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, those who have never heard will understand. So Paul says, by the time he's writing this letter from Corinth, Paul says, I have already taken the gospel from Jerusalem through modern-day Turkey into Greece through Macedonia all the way up to, to what was known as Yugoslavia today, uh, Paul traveled over 1,500 miles on foot, animal, and ships. There were no planes. There were no trains. And there were no automobiles. Okay? And think about all that Paul endured as he was taking the gospel to these Gentile peoples. He tells us in 2 Corinthians, I have served Christ with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, often near death. Countless beatings. I can't keep count of how many times I've been beat, Paul says. times. I'm sorry, not 40 times. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. There were many people who died with one time of receiving the 40 lashes Less one, and we could talk about that, but we'll do it another time. But five times he received that at the hands of the Jews. Three times I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked, a night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and in hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from all these other things, there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches." This was Paul's life. This was not an easy life. This mission cost him. It cost him dearly. And yet we see that Paul was absolutely committed to getting the gospel to places where the gospel had not yet reached. Where the gospel was not yet found, he wanted to get the gospel there. That's why at the very end, he quotes from Isaiah 52, verse 15. That is the very last verse Before famous Isaiah 53, about the suffering servant, the man of sorrows, the one whom the Lord would take the iniquity of us and lay it on him. We love to quote Isaiah 53. Most commentators say we should have started the chapter earlier. This verse really should be part of chapter 53. So here is a here is Isaiah talking about the day of the Messiah. Here is the the Isaiah talking about the day when the Savior comes, and now Paul sees his ministry as part of God's fulfillment of that Old Testament promise. Those who have never been told of him will see. Those who have never heard will understand. Two kinds of missionaries. Timothy missionaries, Paul missionaries. We need both. Timothy missionaries work where the gospel has already been received. Where the gospel has begun to take root. And Timothy missionaries help make sure that churches get planted and that elders get appointed and that those churches get going in a healthy strong way. Paul missionaries their heart is to go where the gospel has never been heard. To go to people who do not have gospel access. To go to places where the gospel is so distorted or shut off that people have never truly heard it. We need both, but for many, many years there has been an imbalance. We've had lots of Timothy missionaries and very few Paul missionaries. And the reason is obvious. The places where the gospel has not yet reached today, those are the most dangerous places in the world to be a missionary. Those are the places in the 1040 window where militant Islam reigns supreme. Or militant Hinduism in parts of India, Southeast Asia. These are the most dangerous parts of the world. Being a Paul-type missionary means more work because you have to go in and start from scratch. Often it means years or decades and you see very little fruit. Read the story of Adoniram Judson, for example, to learn what that's like, or John Patton. And also, it's it's a work that requires much more danger for the missionary. But we need to pray that God will raise up more Paul missionaries willing to put their lives on the line to get the gospel to the people who have not yet heard. Then Jesus will come back. <laughs> Matthew 24, verse 14, this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout all the earth to, to the whole world as a testimony to all nations, all ethnos, all people groups. This message of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout all the world as a testimony to all the nations, Jesus said And then the end will come. When will the end of the world come? When will Jesus come and take us to himself that where he is we may always be? When this gospel reaches all the ethnos. This was Paul's heart. Paul was hastening the day of the return of Jesus by getting the gospel to people who had never heard it before. It will happen. It's happening right now, isn't it? I mean, has there ever been a time in history where we have reached more people than we've reached today? But don't think that the work is done. The work still continues. But if you want to see a little glimpse of what it's going to look like at the end, just turn over to Revelation 7. Look at Revelation 7. Revelation chapter 7. Begin reading in verse 9. By the way, you're in this passage. This is a glimpse of your future Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, Amen. This is the picture of the kingdom. All nations, saved by the blood of Jesus, worshiping the God of mercy. I said this is a glimpse of your future. Only if you're heaven bound. Only if you're heaven bound. If you're here and you're heaven bound, how you ought to rejoice and how this mission ought to mean the world to you. If you're here and you're not heaven bound because you have not believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, this is not your future. You have to read a little further in Revelation. And it's not a pretty picture. And so I would simply plead with anyone who has not believed on the Lord Jesus to believe today. Believe. Trust Him. Call on Him to save you. Whatever you have in you, call on Him to save you. That you might be counted among the redeemed peoples of the world. Amen. Let's pray.